doors, you kick down walls. And anyone who tells you, you can't, you take your fears, your insecurities, your worries, you roll them all up into a ball, you turn those son bitches sideways and stick them straight up, they can't be out. Pick your goal and stick fucking to it. You wishy-washy motherfuckers. I can't fucking stand you. I wanted to make sure that out of the 24 hours of the day, that I don't waste one single hour. Those hours were too precious. And so there I just want to tell people, don't give me this thing, I have a difficult time, I need the time, and I don't have time for this, and I don't have that. You have time. You make the time. And now, welcome to the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast, sponsored by fitnessinformant.com. Alright guys, what's going on? Welcome inside episode 10 of the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast. I am your host, fitnessinformant.com founder and CEO, Ryan Buckeye. It's been a hot minute. I've missed all of you and I hope you missed us too. But for those of you who follow us on social media and all their other platforms know the reason why we've been on a slight hiatus. My wife and I welcome in our first baby girl to our family. So it's been a awesome last seven weeks. And that obviously at this point in my life is priority number one. But we're back. We're back here with the Be Informed Live Fit podcast at fitnessinformant.com, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Do us a favor. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, hit that subscribe button on any podcast platform in which you're listening or if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you like what you hear, rate and review us as well. That'll help the logarithm to get us up into the rankings of iTunes and other podcast platforms to get people in front of us uh, via headphones and, and whatnot to listen to the podcast. Listen, this this podcast today is a good one. I really enjoyed this one, and it's uh, the first of hopefully many that we do like this in terms of the structure. We welcome in two different representatives from two different companies to discuss their point of view on a hot topic in the world of sports nutrition. The hot topic this week happens to be BCAAs versus EAAs, branch chain amino acids versus the essential amino acids. For those of you out there wondering why is this such a hot debate, well, it dates back to a study back in 2017 by Dr. Wolf, in which is going to be alluded to a lot in today's podcast. Dr. Wolf backed a study that the study says essentially paraphrasing here, that EAAs are superior to BCAAs. And there's a patent that they own that they leased or licensed out to Twin Labs Real Muscle. So tonight, or today on the podcast, we welcome in Ian Bell. He's the national sales manager for Twin Labs Real Muscle. And then we bring in the chief marketing officer from Core Nutritionals and Miracle Labs, Kenton Engel, who has a opposition point of view uh, to Real's claims on their product. So what Real claims, for those of you who aren't um, you know, up to date in sports nutrition, Real claims that they are more effective than whey protein isolate, that real induces muscle protein synthesis more than branched chain amino acids, uh, that it's more effective. So there's a lot of claims that come with the real muscle product. And what Kenton is going to discuss on, on today's podcast is his point of view. And basically, one thing to note is neither gentleman on this podcast 
rip each other's products. They they don't at all say that Real is a bad product, that, and Ian doesn't at all say that Coors ABC is a bad BCAA product. So that's very respectable that these two men were able to come on the podcast and talk about their products or talk about their stance on BCAAs and the essential amino acids without actually throwing the other particular product under the bus. Now, both men also talk about the usage of essential amino acids and branch chain amino acids uh, in today's fitness guru like myself. So it's an interesting conversation to say to first off set up the uh, to set the stage on like why real claims that EAAs are superior to branch chain amino acids. Actually, the 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 study done by Wolf is, is basically calling BCAAs a myth. So we're going to post that study to fitnessinformer.com's landing page for the podcast. We're also going to be posting studies that Kenton alludes to in his conversation and in his debate uh, to the podcast as well. And what I urge you all to do is listen to the podcast with open ears, uh, with an open mind. And then you can take a stance on the position or then you can look into this uh, topic deeper because I what what drew my interest to this topic is, A, it's such a bold claim, right? A bold claim to say that BCAAs are, are essentially useless. Uh, I'm not saying that came from real, but that was a, uh, a typical topic of conversation on social media that BCAAs are useless, that the supplement industry has been taking advantage of the consumer for years, selling them branched-chain amino acids, and that a full-spectrum EAA product is far superior to branched-chain amino acids to induce muscle protein synthesis. So, a bold claim like that obviously makes me want to look into it, and I also want to educate myself, right? Like, I've been taking branched-chain amino acids for a long time. I mean, since I started working out, I've been taking BCAAs. It started back in the days of Extend when Mark Loebliner was at the was at the ship of Skyvation. Extend pioneered branched-chain amino acids commercialization in the sports nutrition world. The 2 to 1 one ratio, you hear me talk about it at fitnessinformant.com. You hear me talk about it in my reviews. And then in 2018, Real drops an EAA product that I would say, and this is to credit to their marketing team, Real is probably the biggest launch of 2018 in terms of noise that it's produced. There's been a lot of products that have come out in 2018, but in terms of a product that produced noise and a product that got people talking more so than anything else was Real's product and their stance and positioning on Real Muscle versus BCAA products versus whey protein isolate products. So what I want you to do is listen to this conversation, listen to this debate between these two gentlemen. From there, go ahead and, and you can start to sort of develop a point of view on the topic, but then I want you to dig deeper and dive deeper. And instead of just reading the abstracts of the study, read the actual study and read what goes on in these studies because I think that is an important part that a lot of people fail to do. When we look up studies, uh, say, on a certain ingredient, we like to read the abstract and the conclusion. We don't necessarily like to read the methodology. Why? Because A, we're impatient, we don't like to read, and we like to skim through things. So if there's a conclusion part, in the journal, we also we want to go right to that to figure out like does this work and is this going to prove or disprove my stance on a certain topic. So this is the first, hopefully, of many debates that we have here on the Be Informed Live Fit podcast. Obviously, I want to bring in guests who people know, guests like Brian Shaw. We're still working on scheduling him. Uh, Ashley Horner, we're still working on scheduling her. We want to continue the guests because they bring an element to this podcast that you don't find in other podcasts. But what you also don't find in other podcasts are 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 really nice educated 
put together debates between two people who which have a strong stance on a position. And in this case, Ian Bell from Real Muscle and Kenton Engel from Core Nutritionals, they each have their stance on how they feel about the study, the Dr. Wolf study, how the study has been interpreted by Real Muscle in their marketing. Because obviously any brand or any product that's going to, that's going to use a study to their advantage, they're going to look for the areas of studies in which they can make a claim, and that's what they're going to do. Now, you won't see a lot of companies actually put the methodology or an asterisk by the claim, and, and the claim then alludes to a study per se, but there are a lot of things in this Wolf study that I found super interesting myself. So from a personal stance, from a personal point of view, I've been taking branched-chain amino acids uh, the entire, my entire fitness journey. When Real Muscle came out in early 2018, I believe is when it dropped, or maybe late 2017 after the, after the study came out, I was still on the branch chain amino acid train, like I still am today. I had recently introduced EAAs into my repertoire, but I take EAAs fasted. I feel like EAAs, my personal point of view coming into this conversation with these two gentlemen and even coming out of that conversation with these two gentlemen has not changed. I take essential amino acids in the morning uh, during my workout, actually, because I, I work out fasted. So my last meal of the day is probably at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, and then I go work out at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. That is a good you know, 10 to 12 hours of fasting when EAAs are going to be really beneficial for my system and my body. I always took BCAAs post-workout with meals and, and after eating because if you have a healthy protein intake with your meals, you're going to get a full spectrum of EAAs that the BCAAs then can complement to speed up muscle protein synthesis. So not at all do we say that EAAs don't work, and I don't think we say that BCAAs don't work. I think the point of this whole debate between Kenton and Ian was Kenton's issue and stance with the study and how Real interpreted and used those results in their marketing of their product, Real Muscle, and that is really the basis of the conversation. So that's not a spoiler, but I think that you are going to enjoy the conversation, it does get maybe a little testy at times with these two, but that's what you have to come to expect when you're passionate about something and you're this, this, uh, you know, you're behind a stance and you believe in a stance with so much of that passion, you're going to have conviction in your voice when you talk. And I loved it. I love this. This is one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever done. And like I said, I hope I do. I hope we can do more of this and whether it not be just a debate between two people, but maybe two people within the sports nutrition or fitness industry who are well-respected, but necessarily don't converse very often with one another and Bring them on the Be Informed Live Fit podcast and have a, a conversation in which you, the listening audience, and myself, the interviewer in these in these uh, podcasts, can take away something and learn something because that is the whole point to not only fitnessinformant.com, but this podcast. It's called Be Informed, Live Fit for a Reason. Take the information that we that we give you via this podcast, via the, the awesome guests, the smart guests, the wise guests that we have on the show, and apply it to your daily fitness principles to live a healthier version of yourself. So that is, uh, that's what you have coming up here in just a minute. I want to touch on a few things, what's new over at fitnessinformant.com since the last uh, seven weeks, I believe it's been, since we've been on the air. We have updated top ranking guides in the pre-workout amino acid category. We have a brand new number one at the protein bar, our protein bar, number one rated protein bar. Uh, you can view all of these ranking guides over at fitnessinformant.com. We also now have best tasting pre-workout, uh, best pre-workout for fat loss, best pre-workout for, for women, uh, a lot of very niche uh, niche search topics in which people are very interested because not everybody wants an end-all, be-all pre-workout. So we, we break it down by certain 
categoristic uh, features for the people. Um, also, uh, there's a brand new Mr. Olympia, Sean Roden. I am super happy about that. Now, it's not because I disliked Phil Heath. I actually liked Phil Heath a lot, but I thought Sean brought the the A package to the Olympia. Um, nobody could have touched Sean. I don't think it was even close. Even though the final two was Phil and Sean, I think in the judges' minds, at least in my mind and in the, in the viewing audience's mind, it wasn't even close, and you could tell uh, just the conditioning alone was just superior on Sean Roden. So we have a brand new Mr. Olympia champion next year. Should be extremely interesting. FIBO, which is the, one of the largest fitness expos in the world, normally takes place in Germany. Coming to uh, Orlando, Florida in December, we are uh, right now figuring out whether or not we will partake and participate in that event. It'll be interesting because it's very popular over in Germany. But it hasn't gained a whole lot of steam within the States here in America. So it's in Orlando. It's a very travel-friendly city. I think Orlando and Vegas are two of the most two of the best cities to hold any convention. Um, so it'll be awesome to see, you know, how FIBO does in year one and if they're able to sustain this moving forward. Uh, last piece of information that I'll give out here before we get to the interview between Ian and Kenton is this. The 2018 Fitness Informants Shield of Excellence Supplement Award nominees will be released soon over at fitnessinformant.com, our Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter, and Snapchat featuring. Uh, it'll be, we'll have Brand of the Year nominees. We'll have Breakout Product of the Year, New Product Innovation of the Year. We'll have Protein Bar of the Year, Protein of the Year, uh, certain categories like we had last year that you'll be able to see who the nominees are. And then in December, we will actually have our 2018 Shield of Excellence Fitness Informants uh, Supplement Awards show posted to YouTube.com. Uh, a lot of exciting things going on over at Fitness Informant. I just want to say a thank you to everybody who has been patient with us in the podcast world. We know it's been some time since we got a new podcast out, uh, but obviously you people understand you're the greatest people. Uh, I've been trying to do my best to respond to your DMs and to your messages at our Facebook page. So if you still have questions on supplements, or anything in regards to fitness, reach out via the Self-Made Barbell Brigade Facebook page. Facebook is uh, facebook.com backslash fitnessinformant. You can email me personally. It's ryan at fitnessinformant.com. I will take time to respond to all the emails, comments, questions that I get. I just appreciate the support, and I appreciate everything that we've been through. It's been two years now uh, since we've had Fitness Informant launched on the World Wide Web. We launched on October 1st, 2016. We are now midway through October 2018, and we're just getting started. We are... Um, we are a supplement review website, fitness-centric website, but we have a different take and a different point of view on that in which we take a stance. We take a stance against bullshit, and I, I, I don't appreciate companies trying to sell you a dream and trying to sell you an aspiration that's just not a reality with that supplement. Now, that you could argue that that's with any supplement, right? You can take any fat burner, and any fat burner in the world is going to picture some, some ripped dude or some lean girl, and you may not get that. I get that, but there are going to be supplements in which are just detrimental, you know, to to your overall goals in terms. I mean, if you're going to give us a 5.3 gram prop blend that the first ingredient is creatine monohydrate followed by citrulline followed by beta alanine. I mean, come on. You know, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to put you on blast. I'm going to expose you. So uh, that is what Fitness Informant stands for. That is what you can come to expect from F5. There will be a war on MLM series coming to our YouTube channel and fitnessinformant.com. Actually talking about collaborating with Mark Loblinger a little bit on some scam alert and some exposed stuff. So that'll be interesting too. So with all that being said, again, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, or maybe you've been a long-time listener and still haven't subscribed, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Rate, review, uh, that as well. That'll help us uh, leave comments, questions. We'd love to hear from you. 
I hope that you guys take a lot away from this conversation. Again, Ian Bell with Real Muscle, and it's Kenton Engel with Core Nutritionals. Ian Bell is the national sales manager for Real, and then uh, Kenton Engel is going to be the CMO, the chief marketing officer over at Core. Uh, this is a great conversation. Open mind. Strap up your seatbelts, boys and girls. Uh, be educated, and uh, walk away from this knowing something that you didn't before you came. We're going to do a first of many, hopefully, here in the future of the podcast. But we have two gentlemen on Ian Bell. He is the national sales manager director for Twin Labs Real Muscle, and Kenton Engel, who is uh, with Core Nutritionals America Labs. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Good. Very good, thanks. So what we want to do is, is these two gentlemen are, are very passionate about the sports nutrition industry, which is great, as we are here at the Be Informed Live Fit podcast. But there's been a hot topic of conversation, especially this year, specifically due to the release of the product that, Ian, you and your company represent, Real Muscle, calling into question the effectiveness of branched-chain amino acids. So what I wanted to do is bring on Ian uh, to, to discuss the study and the, uh, the science behind EAAs and real muscle in, in particular, and Kenton and all of his research with BCAAs. And to kind of get to the bottom of this, or at least shed some light from both perspectives, because I think there's so much information that's out there for our listeners and our viewers at Fitness Informant, inaccurate information, to, to be honest. Um, and, and these gentlemen spend a lot of time in this space and know much more about it than, than even I do. So I'm looking forward to being educated. I will say this. I think Real Muscle may be one of the biggest launches of the year in terms of noise around it, in terms of sound bites, especially on social media, uh, probably because of the controversy in a, in a good way, bad way, whatever people can decide that. So um, first question, Ian, I'll, I'll kick it to you in terms of sure. the study behind Real Muscle and, and the products that you guys came out with this year. Who did the study and who, who, uh, who put the money up for the study? The, th the thing that people don't realize is that <clears throat> there's there's two doctors at play here. One is Dr. Robert Wolf, who, you know, he has spent his life's work on the study of amino acids. And that when I say his life's work, this comes from far outside our industry. This sure. just starts at Shriners Hospital. This starts with burn victims. This starts with the elderly. And I mean, and that's where this this came to be. He's a published author. His book's available on Amazon. He's over 50,000 published, you know, studies overall. Um so there's 40 years of research there. There's 20 years of research involved. Dr. Arnie Ferrando at the University of Arkansas. So this is really a journey. We're not talking about one study, but there's over $10 million of medical research involved in the study of amino acids. And it's not just one study. Like I said, this is a tinkering to figure out the ratios. And we're talking about ratios responsible for muscle protein synthesis, okay. turning protein into muscle. We're not talking about anything else. This is... Do BCAs in this particular one that was posted from ISSN in December 2017, do BCAs have the ability to synthesize protein into muscle? And that answer is no. And that's where the, the discrepancies take place. The BCAs, do they activate mTOR? Do they um, help preserve muscle? Are there endurance applications? Yes. Do they synthesize protein into muscle? No. The other six have to be present. Kenton, any, any feedback, any comment to that i mean there's a lot to unpack there so i first just want to make a couple of notes there is a patent that twin labs licenses from those two doctors that ian mentioned it's critical to mention that in the patent application there's a number of methodological defects that in my opinion render it inapplicable to the real product specifically namely the fact that at the lowest dose 
The specific amino acid composition that Twin Lab licensed is from Dr. Wolf was 15 grams. The highest dose is 45 grams. It's only at the highest dose of 45 grams that there was a substantial increase in the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis, which is the issue in question here. At that dosage, a tub of real is going to last you 3.5 days. The second methodological defect is that this was not performed in healthy exercising subjects, which is, in my opinion, the overwhelming majority of users who are purchasing our products. It was in the elderly, burn patients, and trauma patients. Now, that's physiologically relevant because in order to measure protein metabolism and the increasing the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein metabolism is simply a measure of fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis, it's just a measure of protein metabolism, you would ideally want to construct studies with experimental designs that mirror common use conditions. And you wouldn't want to take somebody who has compromised protein or amino acid metabolism and measure the effect of either EAAs or BCAAs on the initiation of fractional synthetic rate. The third and final problem is it's not a comparative analysis. So there are a number of comparative analyses, and we can get into that in a second, that compare the relative efficacy of both EAAs and BCAAs in common use conditions for increasing the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis. That doesn't happen in the patent application. So I just want to, those, that's just my preemptive remarks. The second thing that I want to unpack is that Ian mentioned that BCAAs aren't capable of increasing FSR, I'm just going to use shorthand now, um, unless the other EAAs are present. That's an er a very interesting rhetorical move, and it mirrors precisely the same uh, rhetorical move that Dr. Robert Wolf utilizes in his 2017, we'll call it a meta-analysis, BCAA's myth of reality. And that rhetorical move is not sufficiently differentiating between what's called the absorptive state and the post-absorptive state. So after you consume any food, your body enters into what's called the absorptive state, where it breaks down the three macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbohydrates, to their constituent elements. It breaks down fat into lipids, breaks down protein to amino acids, and it breaks down carbohydrates into simple sugars. The purpose of the absorptive state is to synthesize new tissue, right? Well, there's a number of other conditions, but in the limited context of amino acid metabolism, it's to synthesize new muscle tissue. The post-absorptive state is the opposite of that. The post-absorptive state is when your body's in the catabolic state, it's in a state of breakdown. Now, here's a relevant question that Ian didn't define. What is the delayed transition from the absorptive to the post-absorptive state? Let's say that there was a 17-hour delay. In that case, and I would advise people to take EAAs because your body's um, what's called it's uh, essential amino acid amenia, it's uh, enrichment of the free-floating essential amino acid pool would not be sufficient to induce muscle protein synthesis in combination with BCAAs. That's not the case. The absorptive state lasts anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours. Now, here's the critical issue, and this directly contradicts what Ian said. When you look at studies with experimental designs that more or less synchronize with the protein intake frequency of the average individual consuming BCAAs, which let's say, let's generously estimate it every three, three, or three and a half hours, the um, rates of increase to the fractional synthetic rate between BCAAs and ERAs are roughly comparable. And the reason why is that muscle protein synthesis after the intake of whole protein lasts anywhere from two and a half to three and a half hours. There's probably a liminal period in between that three and a half hour period where you're neither in net or positive uh, total uh, protein turnover, right? So muscle protein breakdown is not exceeding synthesis, and synthesis isn't exceeding breakdown. When they administer EAAs and BCAAs in that state, they find that BCAAs increase the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis just as much. Now, here's the frustrating part. Robert Wolf knows this. In the abstract, the introduction, and the conclusion, he words it some, something like this, something like what Ian said. BCAAs do not increase muscle anabolism, full stop, right? No relevant physiological parameters, no qualifications about the experimental design, they just don't. About halfway through the second paragraph of the second section, he introduces the relevant physiological parameter, the post-absorptive state. 
Okay, well, that completely changes the analysis because now we're dealing with two vastly different metabolic conditions. We right. go from an unreserved, unqualified claim to a highly reserved, highly qualified claim. And then what people are doing, because they don't read the methodology section, is they're essentially doing what Ian did. They're taking the first unreserved, unqualified claim, which has a completely different evidentiary standard than the second claim, and applying the conclusions from the second claim to the first claim. That's just not how science works. So my, my issue is not that there is a sufficient level of evidence to su uh, support the assertion that BCAAs are more effective for increasing the fractional synthetic rate than EAAs, because I don't think there's a sufficient level of evidence to demonstrate that. That's a confirmatory case, just not interested in engaging in it for a whole host of reasons we can get into. I'm just interested in presenting a disconfirmatory case, disconfirming the assertion that there's a sufficient level of evidence to suggest that A, BCAAs do not increase uh, muscle anabolism when administered with other macronutrients necessary for that process, so substrate provision. And then two, that EAAs are intrinsically superior for increasing the fractional synthetic rate of muscle proteins in this because there's just fucking no evidence to support that proposition whatsoever. Ian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, a million things to unpack there. Um, I have worked closely with Dr. Ferrando. I mean, it's similar to what Mark Lovelander says. I don't know where the meta-analysis thing comes out because I've got all, I mean, I can point to it. If, uh, aminoauthority.com, I can give you Dr. Arnie Ferrando's email. There's no meta-analysis there. This, this is, um, you know, years of work at the University of Arkansas. We were just talking here simply about, let's compare EAAs to BCAAs. Real is the proven right ratios to support the, the existing claim of muscle protein synthesis. Is all I'm right. saying. Versus at one-fifth the dose, though. At so, one-fifth dose. It's it, critical to recognize one-fifth dose. They're absolutely right on the dosing. Right. Yeah. So then, hold on. Just hold on a sec. Why market it then? If it's, if you know it's one-fifth the dose, I mean, Ian, this is how you and I got into it to begin with. You do not put on your website uh, an asterisk that suggests this is the correct dose at the correct that's ratio for correct. increasing the fractional synthetic rate. If you're an elderly burn patient, you have ripped dudes all, all up and down your marketing. That's deceptive marketing. That's what bothered me to begin with. That's why I commented on your post on Facebook. How are you, how are you separating the ability to synthesize protein to muscle any differently that with with the need to supplement with amino acids? I don't understand. I mean, I mean, the studies are done on muscle. They took a biopsy of human muscle to start. That's that's to, not true. To to they did. I mean, I can send you no. the PowerPoint deck. I have no problem. No, no, you know, Ian, I don't need the PowerPoint. So, for example, let, let's talk about that. Now, let's let's talk about that. That's, that's one of the other issues I have with the Wolf analysis. And so, I, I want to clarify something here. Are you suggesting that the 2017 Wolf analysis, right? Uh, I forget the exact title, but BCAA myth or reality. Myth or reality. Are, you suggesting, are, you, are you suggesting that that doesn't accurately convey Dr. Wolf's total position, his summation position after 20 years of research? Or would you say that it more or less accurately conveys and is the accumulation of his 24 years of research? It's simply on, on BCAAs doing the job. I mean, they listen, in the in the studies they did, you know, they tinkered with everything. They tinkered with whey protein. They tinkered with high leucine. They tinkered in combinations. They tinkered which with BCAAs to different amounts. Which, which studies? Twenty four human clinical trials on all that are available on AminoAuthority.com. I can't recite them all. They're there, and I can get more as See, needed. I'm but, dangerous of that slip though, because I will cite the studies. And so what I'm concerned about is that you're just vaguely throwing out this twenty four clinical trials. By the way, about eighteen of which is not are not relevant to this issue. There's about four which actually pertain to this issue, and they don't control for confounding variables like protein in intake, um, resistance exercise, whether or not the individuals. Listen, no one, no one is saying, at, at, you know, in, in any frame of mind that I mean, do, do BCAs companies come and tell you that all of their claims are going to happen if you're not having enough calories, you're not having enough dietary protein, you're yes. not exercising hard enough? Yes, it's a I don't. Thing, yes, right? I don't care about so, other BCAA companies. I'm here as a representative of Core. And I encourage you to go read Core's write-ups because I very clearly delineate when there's human research and there's animal research. 
Yeah, and VCA studies are done on rats. <laughs> Let's yeah. face it. So I, I'm actually, I'm very happy that you said that because there is a, a number of ways to contradict Robert Wolf's claims. Um, there, I actually have a 4,400 word critique of that myth or reality analysis going up on Court's website tomorrow. I encourage you to check it because I'm not going to just vaguely refer to studies. They're, they're, they're listed. Um, there's actually three principal methodological defects. Um, if you guys will allow me, I'll just sort of run through those because I do think they're critical. And then I'm going to answer that uh, uh, challenge that you gave, Ian, that the studies are only in rats. If you guys are okay. Go ahead. All right. So let's talk about how they measure protein synthesis because that's that's critical. Um, in the in the study, Robert Wolf only references two empirical studies. Um, and I'm going I'm to address these methodological de defects in order of what I consider their severity. So from the least severe, right, to the most severe, which warrants perhaps excluding this from serious consideration in this debate. So the first methodological defect um, is that there's only two studies that Robert Wolf references um, in his empirical results question. Both of them are ancient. They're from the 1990s. And both of them use an outdated anachronistic methodology known as the phenylalanine forearm balance method. Now, Robert Wolf um, evangelizes this method in that section. And the way that this is measured is that uh, phenylalanine's only metabolic destination in skeletal muscle is reincorporation into protein synthesis. So what they do is they infuse the isotopically labeled products of phenylalanine into individuals, and then they measure the rate of change over time between appearance and disappearance of phenylalanine. If there is more a higher arterial concentration of phenylalanine, that means protein synthesis is not occurring, right? Because it's gone into the muscle fluid and it's come back out the gradient. Dr. Robert Wolf says this is a sufficient method. There's only, there's only one issue. We know that it's an insufficient method. How do we know that it's an insufficient method? Because 2004 version of Dr. Robert Wolf tells us that it's an insufficient method. There is a gradient, there's an amino acid gradient between the interior of muscle fluid and plasma. And so only measuring the extracellular ratio of leucine to phenylalanine or phenylalanine to the other branch chain amino acids gives you an incomplete picture. There was an analysis done in 2015 that rather than using the isotopically labeled product of phenylalanine, used an endogenously produced derivative of leucine. I think it's D9 uh, converts to D10 or D10 leucine converts to D9. Either way, the only way that this particular isotope of leucine can be produced is endogenously. So if it's produced, it's a direct measure of protein synthesis from inside the muscular environment. It's the only way to get an accurate estimation of the true fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis absent a muscle biopsy, right? That analysis showed that the phenylalanine forearm balance method that the two studies that Dr. Robert Wolf utilizes use chronically underestimate protein synthesis by about 20%. Now, you could say that's irrelevant because in the theoretical consideration section of that 2017 article, Dr. Robert Wolf affords for the possibility that BCAAs would maximally synthesize MPS at a rate of about 15%, right? Because there's a 30% gap in um, amino acid escape, right, from the muscle. Only 50% of that could be resynthesized, re leading to a 15% 15, uh, 15 increase in the fractional synthetic rate. But the problem with that is that it shows he's willing to use data that he knows for a fact to be outdated, or at least use outdated methodology. The second problem is that I variously referred, referred, uh, heard this article referred to as comprehensive, definitive, authoritative, a meta-analysis, a systematic review, but it shares none of the features that you would commonly expect for either a meta-analysis or a systematic review. So let's quickly differentiate those two. A systematic review is just what it sounds like. It's a systematic, comprehensive review of the existing literature um, applied to a particular discipline or a research question within that discipline. And a meta-analysis is merely quantifying those results through a statistical analysis. There are a couple of features that you would expect to see for either a systematic review or the quantification of that review in a meta-analysis. The first 
is a, an exhaustive and reproducible search methodology, which means if I'm searching for studies on, uh, let's say, amino acid metabolism in humans, I would tell you, Ryan, I use this database at this time, I use this search terms, and most importantly, I would elaborate on the reasons why I chose that specific methodology. Not doing so leads to an uh, a non-reproducible search methodology, which is the case now. We don't know why Robert Wolf chose those specific studies, save for a brief terse explanation in that same section of one sentence, which is that he wanted to see um, the protein metabolic effect of branched-chain amino acids administered alone, which means completely alone, um, outside any other uh, macronutrient intake, and in the post-absorptive state, which we've already characterized, does not mirror common use conditions. He doesn't give us any selection criteria, so we don't know why he included only those studies and why he excluded those studies. We can infer that the reason why he included some studies and excluded other studies, and I would say intrinsically prejudiced the data against BCAAs, is because he owns a fucking patent for EAAs, <laughs> and so he has a financial incentive to characterize the efficacy of EAAs as being inherently superior to BCAAs. I don't know that, and I don't want to speculate about his psychology, but a reasonable person might infer that somebody with 24 years of research would do a better job at elaborating upon his search methodology. The third and most principal problem, or the most severe problem, however, is that issue of only analyzing the effect of BCAAs in the post-absorptive state. So Ian already said in this particular conversation that BCAAs are only capable of increasing the fractional synthetic rate given the uh, adequate presence of the other EAAs. Now, I've just explained that any individual intaking whole protein anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours will have a sufficient level of essential amino acid enrichment in their blood prior to exogenous BCAA administration to induce muscle protein synthesis. So that means as long as anybody is doing that, then BCAAs are just fine. Now, you would expect somebody who is that much of an expert to elaborate on that fact, but he doesn't. And because he doesn't elaborate on that fact, and he deliberately dissembles, people only read the abstract introduction and conclusion where it's sure. an unreserved claim. They don't read the entire middle where it's a highly reserved, highly qualified claim. And that response is essentially all I'm reacting to. I have nothing against Ian. I have nothing against Twin Labs. I have nothing against their products. I fucking take EAAs. Um, I also take BCAAs. So that's not the issue. The issue is doing proper science, and that's just not proper science. All right, Ian. So he, 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 he talked about a lot there. So I want to give you some time, let you, uh, let you speak a little bit more in regards to his comments, and then we'll talk a little bit more about usage of both EAs and BCAAs and when they're both appropriate to be used. But go ahead, dude. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, uh, EAAs, which essentially is what Real was you know, kind of spearheading and, and fronting into the marketplace because there's been a scramble of you know, various products, EAAs. You have companies now, oh, no, it didn't work, didn't work. Now they're, you know, they're marketing BCAAs plus EAAs. Well, mm -hmm. the consumers, you know, because we're all dumb, right? We have to now, because they're hiding behind their skirts and saying, oh, yeah, EAAs didn't work before, but now, you know, BCAAs are part of EAAs, right? They're three of, they're three of the nine. So there's becoming an acceptance that EAAs, um, in terms of a supplement that will increase protein synthesis more efficiently, now the directions for taking real or essential amino acids period, it's, uh, period because they're an intact source is we actually, the studies on them are to take them an hour before you exercise. And that's to incorporate and getting all those amino acids into the system at the time. So if you're just talking about simply a supplement and what Lincoln is saying, absolutely. Do, you know, are there amino acids in the body, protein powder? It works. It has amino acids. That's why we take whey protein. It has amino acids in it, but, Real has the studies and the effectiveness of all nine together in the ratios that they studied. They studied virtually every kind of scenario based on that. And this was what elicited muscle protein synthesis the best. They're delivering it in a supplement, clean, clear, no other fillers, no dairy, no other 
things to slow it down. It's completely absorbed in the body within an hour and as a standalone supplement. And you're right, the studies were done linking up to 15 grams, you know, and that's a, it's a very generous amount. 45, um, 45 was the highest dose, 45. Well, 15 is what it's, we even cite on our website. I mean, you, you direct it towards the website. I mean, right, but, but the I just want to clarify the you know, patent application, the highest dose is 45. And that's the measure of protein synthesis that they conclude. Is, is the 45 gram dose. It's not the three and a half gram dose. There, there, it's the 45 gram dose. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we can we can debate that. And I'm just saying that- Well, it's not it, a debate. That's just what the patent application shows. I encourage people to go read it. I just, I'm not trying to be a dick. Take 45 but, grams of EAA, but- uh, No, no, I don't, I'm not trying to be a dick. I just want to be precise. You're claiming that your product is a direct representative and replication of the correct ratio for essential amino acids, and that only this correct composition is capable of initiating muscle protein synthesis. I'm just pointing out for not everybody good. listening to this podcast, that you guys use nine times less than what's stipulated in the patent application. That is a critical differentiator and not recognizing that's just either being ignorant or willfully deceptive. You can take your pick which you'd rather be. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's no there's no deception here on on, on taking the amounts. We're clear on, the, on how much is cited in the studies on the site. There's no, you know, and I, we can argue back and forth all day, you know, what your 45, you know, 15 grams is what Robert Wolf himself takes every day. I've spent hours with Dr. Arnie Ferrando who's the one that did the studies at our, in the University of Arkansas. It's what they're testing in the U.S. military. It's what they're testing on uh, in, with NASA, and it's not using BCAAs because they're simply, you know, not as effective as at muscle synthesizing protein into muscle as EAAs are. Simply, you know, I want to touch on, on something, too. And Ken brought up earlier, the initial study was done on elderly folks, people who aren't necessarily like us, who, who work out. Are you guys doing – it sounds like you're doing different studies now with the U.S. military, with NASA, on people who actually are physically active maybe daily six, seven yeah, times sure. a week? And I would encourage everyone to look up, um, you know, and I'm happy. You know, Dr. Robert, uh, Dr. Arnie Ferrando spoke at, at the Olympia. I have his PowerPoint decks that goes through all those studies, which I'm going to send to you guys afterwards, sort of as a recap for more information. But all of that is occurring based on, on the patent for, you know, that Rio uses from, from Twin Lab. And it, listen, Twin Lab just has a license to use it for sports nutrition. This is going on, you know, in terms of heart health. There's studies on liver failure, all kinds of things with people that can't absorb protein. I mean, uh, it's, it's a supplement that's made a difference. Twin Lab has the rights to use it in the sports nutrition community that hasn't seen this combination, a full U.S. patent in a supplement before. BCAs, EAs, take your pick. But as a standalone supplement delivering what you need for muscle on its own, we believe real and essential amino acids are the way to go at the right dose. So let me, let me clarify so something. Clarify. Go ahead. If Jim. I can just clarify something for a second. I'm looking at the real website right now. It's www.re2asmuscle.com, and there's absolutely no qualifier that the claim that EAAs, this specific composition of EAAs, codified in U.S. patent number 9364463B2, there's no qualification that it's three times more effective than whey protein and 30 times two, 32 times more effective than BCAAs at a dose of 45 grams. There's absolutely... No qualification those, whatsoever. Those come from the, those come from, like I said at the beginning of the interview, from not from a, one study, from a, the culmination of over forty years of research. No, 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 no. Those claims come directly for the patents. So now you've lied twice. You've no. lied that you guys qualified the dose, and now you're lying about where those figures come. Those figures come directly from the patent. Three I described this in detail in response to your posts on Facebook about how this is dissembling, and now you're dissembling again. I would appreciate you more if you would just be honest. If you would just say, right. We, we can't well, be sure whether or not that's the adequate I'll, I'll dose. To question my, my honesty, you have no right to call that out because I'm honest in terms of the time that I've spent 
reviewing these studies with Dr. Robert Wolf, with Dr. Ferrando, you can have your opinion as you say fit, but if you call out my uh, question, my integrity, then that's your way off base with that. Because no, I am not questioning your integrity. You, you can be inaccurate and dishonest without being intentionally inaccurate or dishonest. You could be unintentionally inaccurate or dishonest. Regardless, what you've done is misrepresented what your website says. I respect your opinion. We agree, agree to disagree. But well, let me, Ian, this is your website. So you are directly contradicting what your website says. I encourage anyone to go look at it right now. There's no qualification about a 45 gram dose. Interpreting that what we're saying is three times more efficient, and it is three times more efficient than than whey protein. I mean, but it's it, not, it, because it's, it's really fast. Not. There's nothing to slow it down. It's delivered faster. How can you know? That, that was one question I had though. What do you mean by delivered faster? What does that mean? It's absorbed in the system within an hour. Whey protein, because of the simply what it's what you consume it with, is a, is a longer process in terms of delivering amino acids to the muscle. So, that's a fact. So that's also not true. So two of the studies that EAA evangelists typically cite as evidence for the superior efficacy of EAAs over BCAAs, the the, the Moberg AL studies. I think one was 2014, one was 2016. They measured the uh, increase to the fractional synthetic rate of muscle proteins in of intact proteins, so whey. Uh, whey plus six grams um, leucine, five gram or BCAAs with a five gram dose of leucine and EAAs. And the delay to increase the muscle protein synthesis is not any shorter for EAAs. So when they when they look at the area under curve, right, the area under curve is a measurement of the effects and the time curve under which it takes place. The area under curve for all four of those are roughly the same. And so is the muscle protein synthetic effect. There's actually a very interesting result from, I think it's the 2016 Moberg AL analysis. Don't quote me because I don't have the studies in front of me. But this is one of the studies, again, like I said, that EAA evangelists use to substantiate the claim that Ian continues to make falsely, that EAAs are superior to BCAAs for increasing the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis. They conclude immediately in the research that there's too much inter-individual variability in FSR to make a conclusion. So that's number one. And number two, again, they are almost either, either A, exactly comparable when you calculate the means yourself under the zero to four hour time curve, which again coincides roughly with the whole protein intake frequency of an average individual, or zero to three hours, I think BCAAs have the slight edge when you calculate the mean yourself. But there's just uh, insufficient data. So I just wanted to mention that there, there would be no benefit to taking EAAs in, t in terms of delayed onset to muscle protein synthesis. So I had a question because I've heard this. The, I've heard <clears throat> the EAAs are real muscles more effective or three times more effective than whey protein. And I'm curious myself, like in terms of that statement, like is there a certain amount of whey protein in which is, is – 15 grams is what they used in the, in the studies. And it's whey because protein concentrate. Does it matter if it's isolate? Yeah, isolate? Isolate, yeah. Okay. And then how, how big is the serving size and of EAAs? They use Ensure, you know, in a, in a baseline with a lot of, you know, in terms of delivering nutrients and things like that in some of the early testing, too, to, to go against. Sure. This. But that's, it's versus whey, whey isolate. And, so 15 uh, grams of whey isolate and how many grams of EAAs or how many grams of real muscle? Versus the same in the, in the equivalent, in equivalent dose. Okay. Yeah. Good. I just want to clarify. So I have, I have two more questions yeah, here on this, too. So, yeah. Ian, you never – and in the entire conversation, I don't, I, I didn't hear you once say that BCAAs are worthless. I, I never heard you say that. So, what's your, what's your thoughts on branch chain? Just the three of the ten. So, like, I want to clarify for people listening too. If you're not completely familiar with amino acids, branch chain amino acids are thirty percent of the EAA. So they're, they're three of the ten essential amino acids. So, <clears throat> I've always, my issue was when people say BCAAs are worthless. I've always thought to myself, well, hang on a second. BCAAs are part of EAA, so if they're worthless, doesn't the entire spectrum become worthless? So I want to hear your perspective from the side of the coin. Do you take branched chain amino acids for anything today? 
I don't. And I, I mean, I use them. I used to use them all, you know, sure. all the time, like anything else. But all we're saying here, like, listen, I mean, real in itself is extremely high in leucine. I mean, there's no doubt leucine, isoleucine, valine. I mean, we all describe them as it's the superstars. Right. You know, those guys are the ones that are the muscle builders. What comes clear in the studies and, you know, Lincoln has his own conclusions. I respect that. You just call me Lincoln. <laughs> it's Kenton. Kenton, my, my apologies. What comes clear in the studies is that the, that uh, those three are the ones that are responsible sure. for building. So, but they are like like the quarterback on a football team, right? Those guys are the ones; those are superstars. But they don't have the supportability of the other EAAs. They don't do the job. If things like tryptophan, alphanolene, those aren't in high enough amounts, the process is slowed down. They just look for the other ones to be present. And I'm not saying that if they're if you have them in high enough amounts from the food at the right time. But what what real helps you do. And yes, we tell people take an empty stomach hour before, hour after, perfect. It delivers the right amounts in the right place at the right time to ensure muscle protein synthesis. Am I saying BCAs are useless? No, they have the ability to spare muscle. There's some endurance applications there, but in terms of what will give you building muscle better, the BCAs or EAAs, EAAs will do it every time. That's my opinion from being immersed for over a year in the studies with these two guys that have over a combination of 60 years dealing with amino acids. All right, Kent, now let me, let me ask you, you mentioned before that you take EAAs as well. Um, yeah. when, when's the appropriate time, in your professional opinion, to consume EAAs versus BCAAs? If and only if you're fasted. So that, that's another qualification that I want to make about the studies, Ryan. So I talked about how uh, BCAAs alone, exogenous BCAAs alone, aren't going to increase the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis if and only if they're met, uh, administered in the post-absorptive state. And then we def define the delayed transition of the post-absorptive state at about three and a half hours. So again, I'm just going to take Ian's words and use them to substantiate my point. BCAAs will only increase the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis if a sufficient level of EAAs are present. A sufficient level of EAAs are present from zero to three hours post whole protein intake. So unless you're only eating 15 grams of protein every six hours, you're probably good. But let's talk about the studies. So there's, again, there's two Luardeal studies. Remember I talked about those from the 1990s? Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think I was like two when these studies were, we were, were made. The question then becomes, is it fair to assess the efficacy of BCAAs in an experimental design that doesn't mirror common use conditions? And I would say no. So then it becomes, what is the experimental design of these two studies? Well, there's one Luardeal study, I think it's the 1990 dose, and it's not, or the 1990 study, which I think is not the one where they administer something like 10 times um, a comparable uh, oral dose. But the people present to the lab, I think it was at Harvard, after an overnight fast. So now they haven't eaten for eight hours. Right. As soon as they arrive to the lab, they receive a three-hour constant infusion of the isotopically labeled products of phenylalanine and leucine. This is just a radiated iso or leucine and phenylalanine. So now we're at 11 hours, generously. Then there's a two-hour equilibration period. So now we're at 13 hours. And then they receive a th another three-hour infusion. So we're at 16 hours, right? I mean, I'm not great at math, but I think we're at roughly 16 hours. So if the claim that Ian wants to make is that EAAs are more effective than BCAAs after you haven't eaten for 16 hours, I would probably agree with that. And in that case, I would take BCAAs. However, if the claim, which is what Wolf is suggesting, is that EAAs are intrinsically more effective for increasing FSR in use conditions that mirror the common supplement user, then that statement is just demonstrably false. Now, I want to mention one more thing because there is a piece of data that, that all those other amino acids are present when you're 
if from from the food that you've eaten, from the diet that you've had, that you have enough of those to support the branched chain amino acids that you're taking at one time for synthesis. Right. Right, because several studies have, a, have established a level of EAA amenia. So amino acid amenia is a measure of the enrichment, the arterial enrichment or muscle environment enrichment of amino acids. There are very specific studies that quantify both the duration and amount of amino acid enrichment. And those values roughly correspond to the average BCAA user's whole protein intake frequency, which, like I said, renders the entire 2017 analysis moot, and, and Wolf knows that. But more importantly, there is a 2017 research study, which again, Wolf wasn't, but there was a 2017 research study by Blackman and colleagues, uh, Sarah, I think, I believe Sarah Blackman's her name, I forget which lab that she's out of, but she conducted a study um, in use conditions that Wolf would stipulate, and a number of the other individuals in this industry that I've had discussions with would stipulate, BCAAs should not have increased the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis in. It was in exercise-trained individuals, in a protein-controlled environment, in the post-exercise and post-fed state. Now, does this, now I'm just gonna ask you a question, Ian. Does that sound more like our customers or does an old lady who's fasted for 17 hours sound more like our customers? Well, hey, listen, are you counting on every single person is eating a... a, a so, wait, wait, I, 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 that's, not, that's not what I asked. That's not what I asked. I'm just asking you whether or not a protein, an individual with roughly adequate protein intake, roughly exer like exercising roughly every three to five days, is that is that more similar to our if, customers? If, if we're talking about I can buy this BCAA supplement from so-and-so company that who knows because they threw it together and they think it works, or the one that I've seen the, the studies on, on the same shelf, I'm going to buy real every time. No problem. Okay, well, that's irrelevant. So I'm just going to answer the question for you. They just ask no, that. That's everything, entirely irrelevant, dude. You, everything is irrelevant. Nobody's studies are correct. You're no, 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 no. Now you're getting frustrated because I've, I've repeatedly proved you incorrect. There's no point in getting frustrated. Don't, Ian, don't be frustrated, be wrong, and just calm down. So the answer to that question is, the study condition, which more closely resembles our customers, is an individual eating a protein-controlled diet, exercising, and taking BCAAs in and around a workout, which is precisely what Ian said he suggests people, or the condition he suggests people use real in. Now, in that study, they found that the administration of BCAAs increases the fractional synthetic rate 22% above the post-fed baseline. So let me clarify that. In the control group, which was also protein-controlled, exercise-trained, healthy individuals, they ate uh, a diet, I think it was a pre-workout meal consisting of 35% protein. So it's more than an adequate dose of protein. They then exercised, took a saline solution, they measured the fractional synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis. The study group did the exact same, but took BCAAs. In the BCAA group, which is alone, which completely substantiates my position, the fractional synthetic rate of muscle, muscle protein synthesis was increased by 22%. So that directly fucking contradicts everything that Ian has said in this discussion. They were administered alone, but there was a sufficient free-floating essential amino acid pool, and the consequence was what I said is that muscle protein synthesis was increased. Sure. Ian, go ahead. One supplement over another over another. All I'm saying is what Real has in terms of the research is delivering what you need at the right place at the right time. There's a lot of other variables uh, in, in what you're saying, and that's fine, but we're talking about which supplement would you prefer to do the job that we're claiming to do? And that's synthesized protein into muscle. And we're saying real has the studies that prove it does it the most effectively. I'm not saying whey protein is useless. I still use it lots of times throughout the day. 
Not saying BCAs are useless, they have applications that are separate. We're talking about muscle synthesis, right place, right time, right ratios, real is it, period. Not arguing with anything else, not arguing buy this one, buy that one. If you could show me any single supplement in the BCA category that has the same amount of study and focus that's been put on, please do, because there isn't one. There's over $10 million of research in this. There's no other supplement ever brought to the market that has as much research or dollars put in as this product has. And you can call all of that into question. Keep taking your BCAs, and that's fine with me. But this is new, this is new science. It's proven science, and that's where I'm standing behind. All right, gentlemen, this has been a good conversation. <clears throat> I don't want to keep you guys going and here too long. I think what we want to do is shed some light on the topic of conversation between EAAs and BCAAs. These studies are available online. I know, Kenton, you, the studies that you alluded to, are they – are they posted anywhere in which people can go to for reference, to your knowledge? So the two Luardeal studies that Wolf references in his empirical results question require a journal subscription. Okay. Uh, Wolf's 2017, I don't even know what to call it. We'll call it an article. Uh, that's available free online. Right. The two Moberg AL studies are available online. The Blackman AL study that I referenced is available for free online. Um, there's a number of other studies that demonstrate my positions. There's uh, a couple church word Veni AL studies, um, 2014, 2016. Um, those are available online. And then there's a last study that I didn't even get to, which just sort of further demonstrates my point. There's no point piling on um, by Wilkinson AL. And that, that directly measures um, how EAAs and BCAAs increase the fractal synthetic rate of muscle protein synthesis in both the fasted and fed state and in the fasted and fed state post-exercise. And Ian, so the 2017 study, and there was another study as well. There are other studies that people can go to online. I'm going to post these all to the podcast landing page on fitnessinformer.com yeah, with can, links so you, people you can, can check them out for themselves. You can look up. Uh, and, guys, I'm going to send you Arnie Ferrando's PowerPoint that he did at Olympia. So, you know, I'll, I'll send that to you guys directly after. But you can find the, the Robert Wolf Myth or Reality Study online, Nutritional Business Journal, presented at ISSN December 2017, peer-reviewed, not a meta-analysis. I mean, it's all there. Great. And I'll post these. I'll post all these articles and, and, and studies, and excuse other, me, at Fitness Informants. All, all of them are listed on the aminoauthority.com in terms of the other wolf studies and Ferrando studies. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Well, you guys both perspective products. We have Real Muscle. It's R-E-A-A-L muscle.com uh, for that product. And then Kenton represents Core Nutritionals. Uh, Kenton's a, Core ABC uh, BCAA is actually one of my favorite BCAA products that I've ever taken. Uh, and actually, I'm using Real right now to run it through a review at Fitness Informant, and I take it fasted actually in the morning. So, uh, gentlemen, I appreciate you both coming on. Again, these links to the studies in which these both have referenced will be available at fitnessinformance.com, the landing page for this podcast. Check them out. I encourage you to approach them with an open mind. I see a lot of people toss around some inaccurate information on social media channels. Hopefully, this conversation between these two gentlemen today sheds some light on the situation to help you guys make a better approach to the situation. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, that debate between Ian Bell and Kent Nangle. Ian Bell, National Sales Manager over at Real Muscle, and Kent Nangle, the Chief Marketing Officer for Core Nutritionals. The studies in which they both alluded to in their conversations are posted at fitnessinformance.com, uh, fitnessinformance.com backslash podcast. You can go there, click on the actual podcast link for this particular episode 10, and all the links are there for you. So you go ahead, dive into the studies, read the studies, dissect the studies, and interpret the studies the way in 
which you think is correct. And then you can walk away from this knowing more about the BCAAs versus EAA debate, or maybe it's no longer a debate anymore, depending on how you take it take away from this conversation. Again, from my personal stance, I think there is a, a usage of both of them. I think EAAs are better used fasted. I think most of us are only fasted for a certain amount of time, so therefore I think there are more uses for branched-chain amino acids, especially if you're on a, a protein intake diet and you're eating uh, you know, every three to four hours like we do typically, you know, you typically at like eight, 12, and five. I mean, if you're eating, uh, BCAAs, in my opinion, uh, are going to work just fine for you. EAAs, uh, again, have a place. If you're fasted, you obviously want that full-spectrum essential amino acids. Now, if you get a product that has both, two-on-one BCAA ratio and an EAA spectrum blend like our Sparta Nutrition's uh, Sparta BCAA um, and other products out there on the market. I know ProSups makes one like Amino Links and, and some others. Like, great, that's good. Um, you know, it, it, it's perfectly fine to have that, and I think that's where more companies probably will go. But make sure you check out both companies. We're currently running Real Muscle now. We'll have a full review of Real over at fitnessinformant.com after the conclusion of the unit. Uh, we've used Core Nutritionals, Core ABC. It was one of our top rated. It's actually tied number one for our BCAA products, and it's also delicious as AF, as the kids say, so make sure you check that out. Again, check us out on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. We are on Facebook. I just mentioned that we have a self-made Barbell Brigade uh, Facebook group page in which you can participate with us and other members of our community to get questions asked, post uh, progress pictures, etc. It's a motivational circle in which everything is welcome. Also, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. We are on, like I said, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Podbean. Rate and review as well to help the logarithm. Uh, and just keep up with us. We have new stuff happening all the time at Fitness Informant. We have great partnerships. We've been at this for two years now, and we're going to keep kicking ass like we do. Um, the whole goal of this podcast is that you are you get information presented to you. You can absorb the information. You can be educated, and you can walk away and apply those principles and those concepts back to your own version of your life to live a healthier version of that life. So appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, everybody out there, be informed, live fit, and hang in.